Well, good morning to everyone. Greetings in the name of Jesus. In our memory verse this morning talks about that grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the apocalypse. You turn to uh, the last book of the Bible there, Revelation. That word is the apocalypse, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. That means the unveiling, the opening, the revelation. Um, <clears throat> sometimes we use the uh, term in, in our common, uh, he suddenly had a revelation, <laughs> meaning he suddenly realized or it came to his awareness that whatever it was, well, that's a little of the sense of the revelation. Jesus Christ in that suddenly he will be seen for who he is and we're looking forward to that day. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried by fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, praise the Lord. We're, uh, we're still on this side of that moment, but it's coming. Well, this morning I have a message that I have uh, never preached on this topic before. I've spoken of it probably or made reference to it, but in... Never in particular. And I've entitled it, The Fellowship of the Saints. And what I am intending to speak on this morning is the fellowship that we have or enjoy or seek for with other church fellowships. Not necessarily just what happens here when we assemble and gather on a Sunday. I'd like to look at the fellowship that we enjoy with other churches and in particular what the Bible has to say about that fellowship. The last handful of years... We as elders have been gathering well, once a year in Indiana with some of the other churches that are like-minded with us. And we've been trying to identify a bit what it means to fellowship together as churches and have been asking ourselves the question and having discussions about what does a church fellowship look like, or what should it be, how should it function, and perhaps you've been asked the question sometimes by other uh, acquaintances or people you meet, they wonder what church you're a part of, and they ask you, well, what, uh, are you part of a denomination, and so what do you answer? 
Tell them, oh, uh, yeah, we're... Or maybe you would say, well, we're, we're an independent church. Well, what does that mean? An independent church. Is that uh, something the New Testament speaks of? An independent church? Well, we do have dilemmas in our day in that, and, and probably the primary one is this, that not everyone that names the name of Christ is actually walking with Christ. There are those who hold to false beliefs and false doctrines, even though they call themselves a church, And they are, it's a situation that we cannot in conscience, uh, good conscience, fellowship with such. And so the question comes, so then who do we fellowship with? Because it is important that we be of one heart and one mind, that we strive together for the same hope of the gospel And there is a time we need to make a distinction between those who make a claim and don't follow with those who are sincerely following him in insincerity and truth. Well, that is the more difficult part of it, probably, is to determine who we should fellowship with or who we should not fellowship with. And it may be perhaps part of that dilemma that makes us pull back just a bit and we rather like this concept of an independent church. Well, the scripture doesn't really lift up an independent church as the model for us to follow. In fact, I would say, and I may repeat this several times, you really don't find any church in the New Testament that would be defined as an independent church. Now that may need some clarification, but uh, because it does not seem like there was some hierarchy that ruled over all of the churches. So in that sense, there was a bit of independence in function uh, from church to church, but we see they clearly did have fellowship one with another. The true churches of God uh, did fellowship. So, for this morning, what I want to do is, is look at some scriptures that give us some direction and instruction about the value and the blessing of churches relating to each other and the benefit that that can be to us. I did not find in my study here a lot of direct instruction on how this should all look and how it should function. We do have a lot of 
specific teachings about how brethren should relate to each other. Many of them would apply in a local sense in, in one particular brotherhood, how we love each other, care for each other, admonish, and so on. But how does that relate to a distant fellowship that uh, is in the next state, uh, the next country? How, how do we relate to them? And I did find that as we go through the New Testament, uh, especially the book of Acts and then through the epistles, it is interesting to note how many times there is some reference to churches and how they related to each other. So even though there's not a lot of maybe what we would call specific uh, directives, there are some examples And I think as we consider what a fellowship uh, or a a group of churches, if you will, what that should look like and how it should function, we need to look at the Bible and the New Testament as our example and our model. And it is interesting to just note a number of the things. I do have six points here. Uh, that I'd like to draw out from the scriptures of benefits and blessings of churches relating to each other. Now, as I said at the beginning, I've never preached on this subject in particular. And it's probably not the type of sermon that needs to be preached frequently, but it is one that should perhaps be preached at least at uh, on occasion, maybe every five years or every ten years. I'm not sure what the appropriate would be. But I think you will be blessed as we go through and look at what the New Testament has to say about the fellowship of the saints. And we're going to use the early church as our example Out of a number of uh, scriptures that I could use, I have chosen three passages, and I want to read them uh, for us this morning. The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, And then the second passage will be 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and then the epistle of 3 John, which is a very short epistle. Now, as I mentioned, we don't find, and in even these passages, there's not a lot of specific instruction. I would rather call it indirect um, example and precepts as he somewhat relates uh, some of their experience and circumstances. And out of that, I would like to draw some thoughts about churches fellowshipping with each other. 
So I want you to take note of them as we go through here. Just have this kind of in your mind as we read through this. What does it look like when churches relate to each other? And for the setting here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we have this epistle that Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Now, let's consider for a moment Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is one who was a church planter. He was appointed by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he did that faithfully going from place to place, preaching the gospel, establishing churches. People were converted. He turned them from darkness to light. And out of that, they formed fellowships, churches. He would travel and go back and visit these churches again as he was able. And we have some of that in these epistles. He did write to the Corinthians his first epistle. And in that he set in order some things that were out of order. He corrected them. He gave reproof. And even some pretty strong and stern reproof. And they were to uh, discipline uh, erring members. And then the second epistle... Uh, He sends to the Corinthians and he, one one of the main things he talks about in this epistle is how they should now relate to a repentant member who has come back and it has been properly disciplined and so on. But I'm going to read just this short portion here in, in the first chapter and we're going to note Uh, a few things out of this that would relate to how churches should relate to each other. Let's read here, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. 
ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by us. I'm sorry, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. As also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that ye might have a second benefit and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness, or the things that I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true... Our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God. Who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Now, I will just point out several of these. I'm, I'm not going to cover my six points until later, and, and a bit of this will repeat because I'm drawing examples out of the passages I'm reading. But I just note, in verse 1, he is speaking to the church at Corinth, but he also makes reference here with all the saints which are in all Achaia. And in another place, I believe maybe it's toward the end of this same epistle, he, he makes reference that what he teaches there with them, he's teaching in all the churches. So what applied to the Corinthians, the, the instructions, and of course there were some that were very particular to them, but they were examples for all, and the principles apply to all the churches. This is how you should function. Now, as we try to make some parallels today, I would say uh, two things concerning Paul's uh, teaching example here. Paul was unique, and we don't have someone exactly like Paul today. Paul was an apostle. He was specifically uh, anointed by God for his ministry. He was 
one of the writers of the New Testament. He established churches. He's a great example. And yes, there are men who labor and in God's sight uh, can accomplish much, but they don't have quite the same specific uh, tasks that Paul had. But on the other hand, in, in, in saying on the one hand that there's not men quite like Paul, I, I simply want to acknowledge that. On the other hand, God does have uh, evangelists and ministers and, and even those who travel from church to church. Perhaps not to the extent that Paul did and perhaps not with the responsibility for the churches that Paul had, but there are ministers that do travel. We invite them to come here. Sometimes we go there, and there is an interaction between churches for teaching and ministry, and I think that is good and right. So let's not take what is said here of Paul and just push it off completely and say, well, that was just unique to Paul because some things could and should apply. With all the saints that are in all Achaia. Another one I'd point out here, verse 11. Ye also helping together by prayer for us. Here the Corinthians had a part in Paul's ministry. Not just his ministry to them, but he says, Ye also helping together by prayer for us. And he could very well be referring to, I think he mentions three. Uh, don't have... Well, in the first verse he talks about Timothy, our brother... And isn't there another verse where he talks about uh, Sylvanus? Perhaps that's in another passage. But there were other men who traveled with Paul, and they uh, would minister to the churches. So the Corinthians were able to enter into labors of Paul's greater ministry. Another thing I'd mention out of this passage, Paul says in verse 24, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Now in speaking to the Corinthians, if any apostle or teacher would have had dominion over their faith, it should have been Paul. He certainly had authority. He certainly had an appointment by God. And I think he was able to, by the Spirit of God, give them some clear direction and, and even reproof and set in order things that were lacking. But he did acknowledge that we, not for that we have dominion over your faith. And I think that 
is something we should take example of. We don't appoint men to have sole dominion over, you know, a greater church fellowship or a, or some hierarchy where there's some kind of pope that rules over the churches. That is not the New Testament example. Let's turn to the next passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. read this short chapter, 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how Ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, which, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Wow, what a powerful testimony. Now, if I were to put this just in... In my own, my own words, my own account, what I what I draw out of this, <clears throat> you have three men here: Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. He's uh, naming them as giving greetings to the church of the Thessalonians. Now these men traveled and preached the gospel and they had preached the gospel to the Thessalonians. They repented. They came to the Lord. God did a mighty work there. And he makes reference there that uh, this was the work of the, of the gospel and of the Holy Ghost. Ye received the word, even though it was in much affliction there in verse 6. 
so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So these men went and preached and taught. They were sent out by the church, you remember. They were commissioned to go and do this kind of work. They went with the blessing of the church, prayers and assistance, preached the gospel, men were converted, a church was established, and from that church then, the word of God was spread abroad. The testimony of what God was doing there was scattered abroad so that they became examples of all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And I would uh, gather from other scriptures that there was quite a number of churches throughout this region. says, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. So it wasn't just that Paul had to go around reporting these things, but beyond what Paul did, their testimony was being spread abroad, it was going to all the churches, it was an encouragement, it was an example, it was a blessing to the other people when they heard what God was doing with the Thessalonians. Their courage, their faith, their turning from idols to serve the living and true God. Oh, we need some more New Testament churches like that. Okay, let's turn to the next passage, and that is the third epistle of John. these 14 verses here. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles." We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, But Diotrephes, which loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, 
Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath a good report of all men, and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be with to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Several things out of this passage. Verse 3. I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. So I gather that certain men came from where this church was and reported to John and testified that the truth was in these brothers over here that he's writing to. And it was confirmed that they're walking in the truth. So there you have brethren traveling between churches, bringing good report. John was greatly encouraged. And then he goes further to say, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Now strangers are foreigners. We, we think of a stranger as someone we don't know. And that is probably partly what is in mind here. But strangers also has the concept of simply someone who is foreign, someone who is from a different country, doesn't belong to your hometown, and it, but it does seem to make a difference between brethren and those who were just strangers. Then he says, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. Now it seems these brothers who came traveling through, they were going forth for his name's sake, verse 7. He was encouraging this church to bring them forward or to help them, to assist them in their travels and their labors. Why? It says, for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. So I gather that these men were traveling, they were preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, but were not receiving support or help from them, the people they ministered to. So he's encouraging this church to recognize that labor, that work, and to assist these men as they go forth because they're not receiving support from the Gentiles, 
to whom they're preaching, you should be helping them. He says, verse 8, We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I see a church here that was helping in the work of the gospel in an indirect way, we might say, by assisting those who came through and were on their way or however it was, they were to encourage them, assist them. I believe even uh, the thought here would be the support they needed as they go preaching to the Gentiles. And in so doing, they become fellow helpers. Next thing I'd note here on a a bit of a different uh, topic, John names some names here. The first one is Diotrephes. Diotrephes did not have a good report. He was a man who was looking out for himself. He loveth to have the preeminence among them. It seemed there was a pride problem here with Diotrephes. And he was warning the church against Diotrephes. And so not just that church, but all churches. And then further, on the other hand, he speaks about Demetrius. And he says, he hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record. And you know that our record is true. So Demetrius had a good report and he's mentioning that, I believe, so that they would receive him and welcome him and and acknowledge his whatever And wherever Demetrius went, he carried this confirmation of uh, a good report. But wherever Diotrephes went, he had the opposite. It was a warning. Don't be like him. Uh, Be careful about such men. So you have the, um, the apostle here, John, giving warning and also commendation for specific men. Well, having looked at those three passages and drawn some points, I now would like to cover the six points I have here, which is um, covers some of what we already spoke of and a few more. And I do have a few more scriptures to consider also. And I haven't listed these in any particular order of importance, so I will just list them. The first one I have is that a church in one location was admonished to receive and assist faithful laborers from other churches. We had that here in this last passage in 3 John, and I'd like to reference one other passage, that's Romans chapter 16. Uh, There's a very specific one. If you want to turn to that, Romans 16, verses 1 to 3. 
I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Sencria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Now there is a very positive and interesting commendation for the sister Phoebe, apparently traveling, moving, whatever it was. She had been a servant of the church at Sancria. She was a lady who had helped succorer. She was, that's, that's what that term means, a, a helper, one who helps in a time of need. She helped many, and of myself also. Paul also received help from her, and he is now telling them that they should receive her as is suitable for saints, and ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. To try to put that in our present day context, I'm not sure exactly how that would look. But clearly she was moving from one place to another. They were encouraged to receive her and to help her. And whatever, I, I'm not sure what all help that meant, but the picture we have here is churches working together. They received brethren from other churches. They assisted them. They, and, it, and it was a united effort to benefit the whole. So to restate that point number one, a church in one location was admonished to receive and assist faithful laborers from other churches. Okay, number two. The testimony of a faithful church was spread abroad and was a means of encouragement to other believers. Uh, if you're still here at Romans chapter 16, let's read verse 19. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Your obedience is come abroad unto all men. And we had already referenced there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 where Paul said that their faithfulness is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. I'm sure you can think of times when you heard a report of a church in another area that was thriving and growing and prospering. People were being converted, maybe even a church being started and established. Doesn't our heart rejoice? Doesn't it encourage us that, yes, this is the work of God. The Holy Ghost is working there. People are repenting. The work of God is prospering. But on the flip side of that, you know of churches that have 
disintegrated, fallen apart, even closed their doors because of whatever it might be, strife or or um, going astray and false doctrines. And those are troubling. And they tend to weigh us down. And we, we begin to think, what about us? And it, it tends to be discouraging when we hear those reports. So let's realize that when we are serving God with gladness of heart, when we are prospering and, and God is working in our midst, it's not just for us. It's a testimony that goes out to be an encouragement to all the saints. So, let's be diligent that we may be found of Him in peace, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we might be holy and without blame before Him in love, because that is part of the testimony that needs to go out. Point number three. The apostles, some evangelists, and faithful brethren would travel, encouraging teaching and strengthening the churches as they went. Now as we read there in the book of Acts and and through the epistles, it would be easy to get the concept that, well, so it was the apostles, they went about from church to church, and the apostles planted churches And perhaps we don't have men that are quite in that uh, place today. Well, I would say yes, there is a bit of a difference there with, with the apostles. But if we look at the whole of the account there in the New Testament, it is clear that it wasn't just the apostles. They took with them other men. And in some occasions there was faithful brethren appointed to go. And they traveled. Um, Not nearly all of them traveled as extensively as Paul did. But they would go from church to church and they would help encourage, preach. Um, For example, uh, some of the early church leaders like Timothy and Titus, they were to go around to the churches and establish them and, and set in order things that are wanting. You have the account of Barnabas who traveled, and he was the son of consolation. He was an encourager of the churches. So you do have faithful brethren who would travel and go from one church to another, encouraging, teaching, and strengthening. Point number four. Warnings against false teachers and false doctrines were spread abroad to the churches so that all could be spared from deception. We find that in the passage there in 3 John. We also find it in a handful of the other epistles by Paul's writings. He would name names about men who were deceivers or false teachers, whatever 
the case would be he warned the churches about them. And while I don't have that on here, um, it was also true that he gave commendations and recommendations for certain men. But I believe it's a benefit that we also have today when we are in fellowship with like-minded churches. We can give warnings about false doctrines and false teachers. We can talk about them. We can be warned. Um, What the believers see in one area may not directly affect another area immediately, but in time it probably will. And so it's important for us to uh, be warned and beware of those things, and that is one of the benefits of having a fellowship of churches. Number five. This one is a big one. We have in Acts 15 the account of a contention in Antioch. And if you want to turn there, we might look at just a few key verses. Acts 15, verses 1 and 2, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Now, this is a very interesting account on several on several counts because you have here men who came from Judah down to Antioch and they said except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses ye cannot be saved so this was a matter of salvation a question of salvation as it related to the Old Testament law and the covenant of Moses Paul and Barnabas did not agree. And they raised an issue about it. It says, no small dissension and disputation with them. Sounds like a serious situation. And it was, I believe, because this touches on matters of salvation and how we understand the Old Testament and and so on. So they had... No small dissension and disputation.
But I also gather that it was not so contentious that they actually got angry with one another. How do I know that? Well, let's look at what happened. First of all, Paul, it seems to me, would have had the authority to just say, Look, brethren, you're wrong. This is not how it's going to be. I'm the apostle. I've heard from the Lord. This is not how it's supposed to be. Now, it does seem that in some other cases, Paul would have taken more nearly that kind of approach. Um, Wasn't it uh, in another place where he speaks about uh, that he didn't give place for these men, not even for an hour? But in this case, though it was a serious matter, and they disputed about it, it says that they determined, and this they seems like the whole church, or particularly wasn't just Paul and Barnabas, they, they didn't just say, well, okay, you, you don't agree with me, but we're going to go up to the church in Jerusalem and get some, you know, we're going to get the final word and, and then come back and tell you. No, it was the church apparently agreeing together that they should go. And go and consult with other men who would be able to give us some help and direction in this disagreement that we have. So they went, and and the other thing I noted here was that on their way they declared the conversion of the Gentiles and caused great joy unto all the brethren. Now, trying to put that in our modern-day context, we have a terrible dissension, and we can't come to an agreement. And we decide to go to another church where there's brothers that could help us. Now, so we set out on our journey, and we visit several other churches on the way. What are we going to talk about when we stop in, and how? what is our demeanor going to be? <laughs> in this case... They brought great joy to the brethren. And I, I can almost picture in our setting, we would set out with really heavy hearts, you know, like, I'm not sure how this is going to go. And I, there's probably a place for that, I'm not sure. But in this case, it seems they went, they were of good enough courage and cheer that they could speak about the great things God was doing, converting the Gentiles and causing great joy to the brethren. In any case, they they came to Jerusalem, they came to their destination. Verse 4, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. And then they uh, gave the case. They they spoke to the church about this issue and what what this was all about. And so there was discussion there. They, They had this discussion and then there was a conclusion reached. And 
I'm not going to go into all the details, but just to, to condense it down to, its, to the essentials here is they had this discussion, they reached a conclusion, they made a recommendation, and they gave it to these men and to, I think, um, yes, verse 25, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. So Barnabas and Paul came down with this, this issue and it was all discussed. They reached a conclusion and then the church sent other men with them back to the church at Antioch. And with them they sent this they called them decrees for to keep. They had them written down and these men were expected to express this to the, to the churches. And I've, I've written it down. This is, this is my point. I'll read it here in its uh, more concise form. And this is Point number five, Acts 15 gives the account of a contention in Antioch on a point of doctrine and practice. The matter could not be resolved locally, so brethren were sent to Jerusalem to the larger group of apostles and elders to consider the matter. A resolution was reached, and this was then taken back to Antioch as well as the other churches. The point I'm drawing out of this account is the benefit that there was for other churches and other men with wisdom to speak into a matter and to assist when there was a, a dissension or a disputation that was too great for the local congregation. And while we like to think that, well, that hopefully won't happen here. But you know, brethren, those things have happened. They are happening in churches that we know. Disagreements, troubles, and dissensions to the point where churches divide or worse yet, even just fall apart into different factions. And I don't think it would have to be that way. I don't think it would have to be as much as we're seeing today if there was a bit more of a sense of reaching out, of asking for help before it's too late. That's one of my concerns and, and motivations to have a shall we say, a more defined or at least a clearer sense that we are not alone. We do have other brothers that we can depend on and fellowship with. They are of like mind so that if we were to come to a point where we could not resolve a matter, it wouldn't have to be the end of the church. We could seek help and find help. And then point number six, 
is that they assisted one another in material things. There are various uh, places we find that, but one reference I have here is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So here a collection was being taken of monies that were to be sent to Jerusalem. And they were going to take certain men that would collect this or take the offering and carry it to the brothers at Jerusalem who needed it. And if I'm not mistaken, it seems like there was a uh, there was a dearth, or the church there at Jerusalem was in hardship, a financial difficulty, that the other churches were going to assist uh, in that matter. So those are the six points I have in benefits of having other churches that we fellowship with. And I want that to be the main focus of this message here this morning is simply the benefits and the importance perhaps of having that fellowship. Having it a place where we know that there are other brothers who are of like mind that we can uh, interact with. They can come and preach for us. We can preach for them. They encourage us. We encourage them. The testimony from one church is a blessing to others. The Word of God goes forth. Warnings can be given back and forth. We can even give assistance in material things, but perhaps one of the overriding things in all of that is that we become helpers together for the greater work of the kingdom. We assist men, perhaps travelers or ministers or the evangelists. We can join together in evangelistic efforts. missions perhaps in a foreign land. Those things are happening and I'm, I'm blessed that they can and do uh, happen. I think we should see it as a blessing when churches can work together. And I know I've, I've lifted up all the blessings. I know there are, there are difficulties. Uh, that would be perhaps for another message. But my... My reason for bringing this is, the, is my persuasion that if we want churches to be working together in a proper way, we need to look at the scriptures and see what we're taught there and the example that's given and seek to make that our pattern. And if we don't 
have a vision or a goal or know where we're going, we probably won't get there. And so I wanted to lift this up as one of our visions, one of our goals, is to have this kind of a New Testament function where we can work together with other churches and be a blessing. May the Lord bless.